So yes, it is that guy again. Thank you for coming. We didn't give you warning. You can leave. You can turn off the TV. But hopefully, you won't do that. Several years ago, I had the privilege of visiting the Asbury campus and was taken to Hughes Hall, where they meet, the students meet for chapel. It's the place where the 1970 Asbury revival took place, an extended period of time that was spontaneous and a movement of God's spirit. I remember that, though I wasn't there, I was at ENC. And we were wondering what the implications were for us. The next day, I slipped back into that empty hall and sat in a seat and bowed my head and reflected on the story I'd heard the day before. And I said, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Last night, I, I listened to the chapel speaker who preached that morning when all of this started just this week. There was nothing spectacular. It was a simple message. There were no colored lights and fog fans providing ambiance. The speaker was not charismatic but spoke truth without using the word Repentance called the audience to repentance for not being full enough of the love of God that that love could be spilled out around them. He said, you really can't love others if you're not loved by God and feel that deep love in your own heart. At the end, he walked off the stage. There was no protracted altar call. No one could accuse him of manipulation, but God had been speaking. And a small group of students gathered for prayer. And what happened next? It can only be described as an amazing movement of God's spirit. Now, I know some of you are saying college students, they're very emotional, and older men can be emotional too. But I've been reading about this, this movement that took place and continues to take place, and it reminded me of the Holy Spirit's work in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36, This was after the Holy Spirit had come. And Peter, in addressing the crowd, said, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Think about that. Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. And then he said this, which seems so appropriate for our time. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. But it didn't end there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Charles Wesley, in 1747, wrote a hymn entitled, All Praise to Our Redeeming Lord. I wouldn't have known that, but we have a service at 8 o'clock at the church where I serve. And we got to the fourth verse, and I found the words of that fourth verse as relevant today's context as the latest contemporary Christian song. It says, we all partake the joy of one, the common peace we feel, a peace to sensual minds unknown, a joy unspeakable. I think that a movement of the spirit that cannot be fully described has been a clear reminder to the church that God is not dead. He still moves. And he is still the answer to the emptiness that people are faced with in this world. In the midst of all of the unraveling that seems to be taking place in this world, he still is the answer. There have been so many pictures going through my mind this week that I have been trying to declutter. In fact, as I was driving up here today, I followed a truck for a period of time that said clutter. <laughs> but I've been trying to declutter it. Yet there is one picture on the top of the pile that weighs heavy on my heart. And I believe God has been speaking to me for several weeks. Oh, he's been speaking longer than that. But when I retired a few years ago, I was so emotionally and physically weary. I was glad to let the burden go for a while. But I've been 
getting these gentle nudges leading to a growing heaviness on my heart for a developing prayer list of young people who God is placing on my heart. I said there was a picture on top of the pile, but now one sets beside in my mind. I serve as part-time pastor at the Wollaston Church. I'm called the pastor for congregational care. I'm supposed to take care of older people. And I'm supposed to take care of people who are in crisis. And uh, so, last Sunday morning, I actually am at the back door of the sanctuary, like that back there, kind of a spiritual Walmart greeter. I have some wonderful conversations and times of prayer at that back door. But during the middle of the service, I walked down stairs through the Cora Man Lounge, and there was a young woman there. I knew her parents. I had seen her parents' tears. I asked her her name. And I got the message, don't talk to me. I don't do strangers, especially old men. She didn't say it, but I got the message. What struck me as she sat there and played some useless game on her phone was how disengaged she was from the whole rest of community that was there. And I've been asking myself questions about her in particular not to other people, but what is this young woman going through? She went to college and dropped out after one semester, comes from a well-to-do family. But the question that I've been asking is, what are the longings and losses of the generation that is most heavy on my heart? What makes this generation so anxious to unprecedented levels in my lifetime. What is, why is there an epidemic of loneliness in people of all ages? Why is there such a growing level of substance abuses and addiction despite an increased awareness of how dangerous all that is? Why are young people drifting without a sense of purpose? Why is there so much confusion about sexual identity Why is there such pessimism about the future and then that seems to give way to a lack of motivation? Why is it that a generation that has more of everything feels like they have less of what they really need and they're not sure what they really need, but there's a hunger? Why are so many families these days broken and dysfunctional? Why are more and more people of all ages finding the church irrelevant, but especially young adults? I've had conversations with my daughter, who's a next-gen pastor at a large church. I've been reading about these next-gen young people, and uh, with my temperament, I could easily be discouraged. But this week, God reminded me that he still moves. 
that these young people want what he has to offer if they can sense it and experience it genuinely. And that is what the second picture on the pile of photos from this week. A spiritual phenomenon taking place in Wilmore, Kentucky, a small town. When I heard of what was happening, many were calling it a movement of God, and I've been calling it an unusual movement of God because the term revival brings up all kinds of issues for many people. But I read this description, and excuse me, it's a little long, but it says it better than I can say it, by Madison Pierce, a professor at Western Theological Seminary who witnessed this herself. I'm hesitant to post my thoughts on what's happening in Wilmore. A few of you may have heard about the revival at Asbury University. I attended the gatherings from the first day till now, and at that point it was eight days. A chapel service that didn't stop but continued spontaneously for over eight days. It was an intimate space for students but it is now the focus of global intrigue, mass pilgrimage, and digital evaluation. I am aware that not everyone has a paradigm for this form of spirituality, but I want to be honest to my own understanding. I come from a spiritual background that has left me weary of hype in a culture of spectacle. I've grown tired of disingenuous representations of divine work, but it is clear God is moving in a surprising and transformative way. However, when you think of a revival, what comes to mind might not be what is happening. To quote Professor McCall, a theological professor at Asbury Seminary, what we are experiencing now this inexpressibly deep sense of peace, wholeness. Now think about these words. A deep sense of peace, wholeness, holiness, belonging, and love is only the smallest of windows into the life for which we are made. The movements of the spirit in Western evangelicalism always exist in the middle of a cultural moment, and we are in one of those. A generous interpretation of these movements reveals unique traits for each one of them. But here, she says, I find it interesting that God would mark the outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation that is so filled with anxiety a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness, an authentic hope for a generation marked by depression, a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. Shame on us a focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. 
The author goes on to say, it feels as if God is personally meeting with young adults in ways that are meaningful to them. My generation was formed differently than previous generations, and so the traits of this revival are different than revivals of old. The new outpouring is not the signs and wonders, nor zealous intercession, nor spontaneous tongues, nor charismatic physicalities, nor the visceral travail. It is marked by a tangible feeling of holistic peace, a restoration restorative sense of belonging, a non-anxious presence through felt safety, repentance driven by experience, by experience kindness, humble stewardship of power, and holiness through treasuring adoration. It is important to reflect on the words of Jesus, no one pours new wine into old wineskins, Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And she says, I don't want to make the mistake of trying to fit this new work into old paradigms. The new wine cannot be understood with the old expectations of revival. As the revival has grown, people attempt to evaluate and participate from their own expectations. You cannot keep new wine in old wineskins, or it may cause disappointment, disillusion, and divisiveness. In humility, we must receive the new wine with an open hand without trying to force this spiritual movement into our well-intended but old expectations of renewal. We must strive to humbly participate, appreciatively celebrate, and intentionally respond to the surprising work of the Spirit with openness and hunger. So what do we make of these two pictures? A disengaged young adult raised in the church who sits in the basement of the church playing a meaningless game while we're trying to create a worship experience upstairs. A chapel filled to overflowing, moving into other buildings on the campus, long lines of people who have come from all over the world to experience this. I was reminded as I was reading the scriptures about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works, that the Holy Spirit and his movement remains a mystery. I think this is what Jesus was trying to say to Nicodemus when he was trying to understand from a mechanical kind of perspective of religiosity How in the world does transformation take place in somebody's life? And Jesus said to him, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
But while this movement of the Spirit is mysterious, it is identifiable. You know through the witness of the Spirit that this is a genuine kind of movement. I have also been remembered, reminded this week that we can be assured that the Spirit is doing his work of convincing and convicting of sin. I just read one of the most depressing books explaining why it is that our culture is moving the direction it is and the mindset behind all of that. But I was so encouraged by not only this unusual movement, but by the words of Jesus. In John 16, beginning with verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin. Isn't that an amazing statement? Because people do not believe in me. He will also convince the world about righteousness. In a world where anything seems to go, all of a sudden we have protests about how people are treating each other and saying, that's wrong. And then he says, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I'm encouraged by that scripture. I am encouraged, and I see signs in our culture. Well, there's a lot of stuff, but I see signs. And I would also add that repentance is critical to make, making way for the Spirit to work. One of the student leaders interviewed said, we are being called to a radical posture of humility and repentance. That's an Old Testament principle, isn't it? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. It says when the people who were there listening to Peter's message heard it. And they realized the connection, I think, between crucifying Christ and then who Christ turned out to be, the Lord and the Messiah, that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what shall we do? I think... uh, There's plenty of evidence that repentance, repentance is a change of direction. And I think what is going to be required for the Spirit to move among 
his church is for us to repent. Repent of whatever you need to repent of, we need to repent of. But I think we need to return to the truth that's found in Jesus and reaffirm that we do believe in the Scriptures and the truth of the Scriptures, and they are the authority for our life and practice. I cannot tell you how distressed I get at times about young people that have come through our youth groups over the years that I've pastored who are doing what's called deconstruction to make the truth look like a lie. I think there has to be a return to sharing common life together where we have fellowship with each other that's meaningful fellowship. I mean, where we talk about the things that really matter and we help nourish each other and a fellowship that's inclusive. I think we have to find ways that we gather at the table again. Not just communion, but a way of life, a time for us to remember the commitments of our life. And I think it's a time for us to return to prayer for the things that matter. We're all terminal, you know. Somebody told me recently I shouldn't refer to kids that are away from God as lost. That's offensive. Well, who's it offending, them or us who have lost kids? Now, the reality is that the Holy Spirit is not a substance or a power that can be manipulated. Holy Spirit is a person who has to be embraced in his fullness so that his movement might be free. Start of the new year. I'm almost finished. I don't, it's 11.25. What time do you get done? I usually have my wife with me, and she goes like this. <laughs> but I am in the conclusion right now. Start of the year, calendar year, I began reading through the Bible. You've probably tried that too. Hopefully you've been successful. And I've been in the Old Testament. Man, some of those passages, long lists of names. I can't remember any of them, you know? Having trouble remembering the birth dates of my kids. And, um, and I asked the Lord, what, what do you put these things in here for? And all kinds of details about sacrifices, you know, how you fix this and fix that. But a couple of things have come out of this, and one of them is a reminder of the unbelievable love of God that puts up with our sin and our mediocrity. And sometimes he simply lets us feel the weight of our poor choices 
And sometimes that impacts most negatively those that we care most about. And the other thing that I've been reminded of is you can walk away from God and do your own thing. And he can lose in all the polls and be excluded from everything. But a day of reckoning comes when everything begins to unravel. I know these are times in which the church in general and for us as evangelicals has taken a nosedive in respect to public popularity, though I don't think we've ever been popular. And there are good reasons for it. We have stuff. We have stuff in the closet. But the truth is, the truth is, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news ever. And Paul said this, in the midst of a hedonistic culture where he was planting churches, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I'm not, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I love my granddaughters. They have phones. I've discovered that the girl downstairs in church is not the only person not interested in having a conversation with me. My granddaughters get in my vehicle, and I don't know who they're talking to. I don't know what they're saying. And you know, I think in a way, what has happened to us as adults has been that we've been preoccupied with other things. We've been preoccupied and now, if God could get our full attention, if he could get our full attention, I believe he'd be willing to pour out his spirit once again. I don't know what that means for you. I don't want to be legalistic about it. You can think about that. But let me pray for you. Father, I pray for this great congregation. I don't know what their personal stories are, but probably they're a lot, a lot alike. A lot like the stories I hear at my own assignment. And some of us have been so wounded by our disappointments that we're not sure what to even do. 
But I pray once again that we would remove anything in our life that would not allow your spirit to work and flow through us. Any hindrance, I pray you would reveal that to us because so much is at stake. I pray your blessing on this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.